This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 149. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today on the episode, I've got with me Jacob Paulson. Hello, everyone. Wow, Jacob, you sound so excited to be here. I'm always excited, Riley. <laughs> you remember that one time we got somebody saying, you know, they really love the episodes, but, uh, some, you know, Jacob's just lost his mojo or something like that. Yeah, I needed to keep my energy up or something. Yeah. yeah. I've taken that to heart, let me tell you. Let, let us know how Jacob's doing, folks, okay? You, you know, you can keep your comments to yourselves about myself, but, you know, Jacob, we definitely want to make sure we keep on his A game. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to uh, today's, uh, well, this this would be normally kind of like our Monday episode. It's a, coming to you a day late, maybe a day plus. Uh, as I was out of town yesterday, viewing the eclipse in the path of totality. And let me tell you, my wife kind of twisted my arm a little bit to drive three, three and a half hours north to do that. And Jacob, I got to tell you, it was completely worth it. Dude, it was probably like three and a half hours north and like 12 hours back. <laughs> Didn't quite take that long. On I think I think it took us four and a half, five hours coming back. Oh, you did so, very well from what I saw. Not as Yeah, so if you were up in Casper, which we didn't go that far north, folks coming back from Casper down to the Denver area... Well, they were in for a for a ride, and yeah. I I did some clever. Uh, let's just say some of my route back home was on some dirt roads, which was not only more beautiful and interesting, but definitely uh, as I watched our estimated arrival time, definitely shaved off uh, quite a few minutes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> anyway, it was great. I really enjoyed uh, seeing it. It was really an incredible experience, way way better than I expected. So. I understand there's going to be a total eclipse in Texas, Texas, spanning from Texas up to like Ohio and maybe almost the upper part of New York. Yeah, basically in, Montreal, Detroit, St. Louis, Dallas. Yeah, and that's like in 2024 or something like that. Um, so if you get a chance, I'd plan ahead seven years and check that out because I, frankly, Jacob, was way more impressed than I ever expected to be. That was really, really a cool thing to see. All right, so today's episode is brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense, ConcealedCarry.com, and the Concealed Carry Podcast have joined forces with Andrew Branca to bring you the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you ever have to draw or use your gun in self-defense, you are going to want to know how to minimize your vulnerability to prosecution and conviction by helping your defense team build the most compelling narrative of innocence. Andrew has the resources you need through live in-person courses, online training, his best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, and now newly released video DVDs. Check it all out at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. That's Lima, Oscar, Sierra, Delta, L-O-S-D, slash after the uh, concealedcarry.com website name. And we've got one of his live in-person classes, actually the level two and level one courses coming up in Lakewood, Colorado in November. I think it was 11th and 12th. Am I right, Jacob? That's correct. In Lakewood, Colorado. I always rely on you to keep me straight. So if you're in the area or if you're going to be in the area or you're willing to travel to the area, don't miss Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense Level 1, Level 2 courses, November 11th and 12th. And check out, once again, that link, concealedcarry.com forward slash LOSD where you can see his full listing of classes 
if you click through to the uh, in-person class port, uh, link, chances are there's one coming up nearby you. So with that, as is our news episode today, let's get into today's training tip. And Jacob, I was inspired recently as we were teaching our Guardian Essentials pistol course this last Friday. And uh, part of that, you know, we spent a little bit of time talking about grip, uh, trying to help the, the participants really uh, learn some of the key uh, features of a solid handgun grip. And I, I just thought, hey, let's share a little bit of that right here. And so that is practicing indexing the support hand on extension. So we know that when we draw our gun from the holster, we need to get a real solid grip, you know, call it your master grip or whatever. And so you're, you're jamming basically your hand into that gun, into the, into the, your web of your hand, into the upper portion of the grip of that gun, just below the beaver tail. You're extending the fingers, wrapping those around the grip. You're coming out of the holster. You're bringing it up close to your chest. And then we begin that process of joining the two hands together. And that support hand is super critical, um, more so than people probably understand or realize, especially you know when they're when they're a newer shooter, especially. If you do not index that support hand together with the dominant hand, the same way every time, you're gonna have a little bit of problem, which is gonna be that you're going to be inconsistent getting on that target. It's going to be pointed a little bit differently, a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, maybe a little bit down and left or whatever. And so indexing that support hand and getting that support hand grip established the same way every time is really critical if you're going to get consistent shots quickly on target. And so in finding an index with that support hand is super, super important. I was curious, how do you do this, Jacob? Well, I was thinking about um, Mike Seeklander. What did he call it? The Judy Chop. Judy Chop. Judy Chop. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I've never actually until until we were talking to Mike uh, a couple of weeks ago, whenever that was, I'd never even asked myself how do I do this. I really, I've never once stopped to like you know check some video and see what I actually do, because in my mind I just bring that gun out, that gun out of the holster, I orient it on target, and then in, in as part of that extension I connect with that other hand and I lock the grip. But I've never said, well, what do I actually do? And so after you know we talked to Mike and he was explaining kind of how he teaches people, you know, and essentially what he does is he you know think of it like a like a karate chop style thing, like some horrible spy movie where someone gets tapped on the back of the neck and they fall over. Um, you know, the, the hand is is completely kind of flat, all the fingers extended, and instead of chopping down, he you know Mike calls it the Judy chop, which he suggests that you Google that to find out why. And so instead of you know chopping down, he essentially chops up, and that the you know the knuckles of that pointer finger essentially come up into uh or I should say under the trigger guard uh, and and kind of connect to where the other hand already has its grip and then boom the lock you know comes down on both sides like a C clamp and i so when you and i were shooting the other day i was asking myself is that what i'm doing and i essentially think that's true it's definitely without question in my mind my first point of connection between that support hand and the gun is in that in that vicinity it's it's somewhere on that pointer finger at the top of the knuckle that's where I connect. And I think I, I kind of, you know, fold down first and then I, I, you know, impose the clamp on either side. Mm. Yeah. So 
My, it was uh, Mike Seeklander that yes talked about that Judy chop, which essentially is like a, a upwards or backwards, you know, karate chop. Um, and the whole idea is that you're mating that knuckle in the index finger of you know the flat Judy chop position of your support hand. You're mating that the same knuckle on that hand, essentially with the same knuckle. Well, I guess it's that's your middle finger, but basically you're 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 hitting that that chop right at that intersection of the base or bottom of the trigger guard of the handgun and the kind of large knuckle of your middle finger, which is wrapped around the grip. And if you hit that spot the same way, the same time every time, and then you you do that kind of close into your body, right? And then as you push out to the target, so as you extend, then you roll that support hand in and then wrap it around the grip as well. And it should, everything should just sort of fall in place. And, and, you know, we see that every time with our students that come through our classes, as we work on grip and as we talk about some of those things, you know, where maybe they've been very inconsistent as to how they establish their grip. When they start hitting that, then you start seeing that presentation to the target, that extension getting consistent the same way every time. And then the thing that probably clicks for them is they go, oh, wow, I'm actually getting consistent first shot, you know, hits because they're actually getting that consistency in that grip when they extend. Yeah. So and I, would, I would say, too, that a key here is that you actually know whether or not you're getting your grip or not. You know, if you, if you, you know, draw and, and fire and then you ask yourself, okay, did I get into my grip and you don't know the answer? That's the first problem we have to fix. You have to have a real clear idea of what is the 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 objective, the grip you're trying to achieve, and you have to be able to say, yep, I got it that time, or no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, you know, start there, like really have a sense of what that what that lockdown grip feels like and and really feel really comfortable with that. Because I certainly know that early on as a shooter, you know, years ago, and many of my students couldn't tell you. Like, it, it, I, I don't know, I just like was holding it and shot, you know? So until you really have a deliberate sense of this is where I want to end up, and then, and then doing that enough times that you know what it feels like—that—that's really a key. Yep, there you have it. And so, this is super critical uh, as far as establishing that that solid grip every time and consistently every time. So go practice this as part of your extensions. Just I would focus on doing this. Just do this repetition where you have your gun. Dry fire, of course. And if you're if you're using a cert pistol, that's fine, or an airsoft, that's fine, or your live uh, fire weapon, that's fine, as long as you're doing it safely. Um, but basically I would start in close to the body and essentially kind of like that close combat position. Uh, and just practice establishing that grip. Okay, so right there where that index uh, point occurs and then push out and extend to the target and just go back and forth and back and forth until that starts to, until you really start to get the hang of it. I would work on that probably a couple dozen times and then go back to the holster and start trying to nail that same thing all the way from the holster and then all the way back in and all the way back out and all the way back in and do that a couple dozen repetitions and then repeat that a couple of nights for a solid week and you'll probably see a big improvement in that in establishing that grip on the draw which will also mean much more consistent first shot hits as well as follow up shots so there you go there's today's training tip there you have it today's episode is also brought to you as far as sponsors go by VTAC gear and by sports afield well jacob uh, let's get into our first news story and yes. uh, 
this is kind of a non-traditional one. Um, it's on the New York Post website, which, you know, sometimes they have some interesting stories and oftentimes stories we don't necessarily agree with either. Uh, but uh, I think we've shared a couple of stories from them before. Um, probably not usually in a positive context, but uh, not that this is a positive story either. In fact, this is quite a tragic story. Um title of it is Horrified Wife Witnessed Husband's Senseless Murder. And uh, you might be wondering where I'm going with this, uh, you know, as I get into it here, but I'll explain in a moment. Let me set the stage. This was in uh, New York City. Um, You've got George and Christina Carroll. Uh, Quoting from the story here, it says that they were enjoying a stroll, uh, a stroll home. So they're walking home along Monitor Street late Friday after checking out a new apartment and then hitting a local bar. When one of a pair of men hanging out on the steps of a school muttered something to them as they passed. The quoting of the widow, Christina Romero Carroll, she said, it was basically, what are you looking at? And my husband, he's a Texan. He's like, I'm looking. The next thing she knew, they got into it. They were chasing him. My husband ran. He threw his phone at them to try to defend himself. It was just so quick. There was so much blood, she said. The killer then fled. She continued, it's still not registering. We had just seen an apartment. We were going to see two more apartments today. I can't believe we're talking about him in the past. The devastated wife said she feels lost without her spouse. It, this happened in a, in a neighborhood that people generally thought of as being safe. Um, but it says here that uh, the local park, less than a block from where Carol was stabbed, has recently been crawling with troublemaking teens and homeless people. Uh, quoting one of the lifelong residents of the area, he said that uh, there has been a group of older teens. They hang out by the schoolhouse or the park. I won't go by them, whether it's day or night. Another neighbor said, or actually, excuse me, the same, same guy, he said, they're loud, they're rowdy. Neighbors have been complaining, but nothing has been done. Within the last few years, the surge of drugs in the neighborhood is incredible. You could smell the reefer everywhere. Another neighbor said that uh, the, these these young teens, the young punks, as she referred to them, they like to go and cause trouble. So apparently it's one of these young punks that uh, decided to start up a fight with uh, George Carroll. And the reason I'm sharing this story to kind of lead things off here today, Jacob, is that I, I think it's unfortunate. I mean, any, anyone listening to this from Texas, they hear of a fellow Texan who is not able to defend himself because of where he is. He's in a city where um, you you cannot carry a gun on your person. No way. Right? There's a few exceptions. And you know how 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 much of a shame is this that here's a man who is minding his own business, doing nothing wrong. He's likely, you know, a law-abiding citizen done very little, you know, wrong in his life as far as the law is concerned. And for no reason in particular that we can think of other than he just looked at somebody the wrong way, he stabbed and killed. And he, the, the tragedy is that he's not able to do anything about that other than to throw his cell phone as a weapon at them. Yeah. I, to me, the, that's the powerful part, right? As you're reading through this, it, there's something about it that kind of gets to you. And then, and then when it says that he threw his cell phone, that's when it really hit for me. It was like, wow, like 
this is what we have to resort to now. We we throw our cell phone at our attacker, uh, attackers. He was outnumbered. He was in a bad position, bad situation. Look, doesn't doesn't know the city well. Looking for an apartment, place to live. And this is you know I'm, I'm not I'm not upset that we can't always keep our streets clean. There's always going to be criminals. There's always going to be safe havens for those criminals. Well, the police will always be understaffed and underpaid. Um, it's a really unfortunate part of America. I don't know what to do about it because, you know, I'm, I'm not a genius. But what I do know is that leaving the citizen with their best potential, you know, tool is to throw a cell phone at their attacker and run. That's that's not okay. We can do better than that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and just because you have a gun, by the way, it's not an, an excuse for neglecting other uh, defensive tactics. I mean, not to suggest that George Carroll could have, uh, you know, he, he, he could have mastered, you know, Krav Maga or some other martial art, uh, you know, BJJ or whatever. And, you know, he would have been so skilled that he could have fought, fought back and he would have had some, some tactics or techniques he could have used to disarm the knife from this man. Um, Having a gun is not an excuse for for not having those other skills as well. And certainly this man could have if he didn't already have learned some of those skills. But it's just such a shame because in just about any other city in America, not including, you know, L.A. or San Francisco or, uh, you know, a few other places. I mean, Chicago now you can you've got a better chance at carrying a weapon on you or carrying concealed than you do in New York City. It didn't used to be that way. Now, you even have a chance at it in Washington, D.C. But here you have a city, and we we shared a story about this, what, last week? The John Stossel one? Oh, yeah. uh, talk, talking about, you know, people that end up in New York and they're usually flying in or flying out and they get caught with guns and they get busted big time. And it, it, it's it's a city with draconian gun laws that don't necessarily make any sense. And in this case, in particular, and I don't know whether this guy, you know, George Carroll would have even had a gun on him to begin with. Yeah, but if if he could have at least had that chance, maybe this story would have ended differently. Maybe it would have been like one of our justified stories that we often share where folks successfully stop this kind of attack from happening and they live to tell about it. Unfortunately for George Carroll, it's done. It's over with. Sad you know, stuff. Yeah, it is. And, you know, last week we shared a lot, quite a few stories about, uh, you know, we talked about it. Hey, don't let your guard down about this gun control stuff. Don't think that we've won, you know, that, that we can ease up now. There, there are, and we're going to share a story here in just a minute, uh, out of Oregon in particular. Actually, the very next story here is going to talk about Charlottesville, Virginia. But I'll get to that in a second. <clears throat> there are folks out there, <laughs> trust me, they're actively working to, restrict our second amendment rights. So this is a great reminder as to why it's so critical. We don't uh, give up the fight. Uh, We don't want everywhere in America to end up like New York city. And I'm not saying everywhere in America would, but we, we, we just can't let our guard down. So turning our attention now to Charlottesville, Virginia, we talked, I think, last year, I, mean, I think I mentioned, you know, hey, it's unfortunate. You know, our thoughts and prayers go out to the, these people that were injured or killed uh, in Charlottesville where this uh, uh, vehicle, you know, was, you know, 
drove, driven into this crowd of people, all these protesters, right? Antifa and, and uh, uh, white nationalists and so forth, right? And obviously what happened there, I think almost regardless of what side you were on, was probably not, not appropriate. Uh, things definitely got out of hand. Uh, there's wrongs on both sides. But what is now being talked about from the Charlottesville mayor is an even greater travesty in my opinion, because here's what he's pushing for. He is not only pushing for a new law, he's, he's pushing on the Virginia state legislature. And by the way, this is Charlottesville mayor, Michael Signer. Uh, he's not only pushing for a law to give local governments power to decide the fates of their Confederate war memorials. Uh, And by the way, that's not the, meant to be the issue of this particular uh, topic or news story here in this podcast today. We're not going to debate, you know, about these, these memorials. I personally, my personal opinion is I don't see why people are getting so, you know, crazy about tearing these things down. Um, uh, Why, why we would turn our backs against history is beyond me. But besides that, here's the other thing. And see, really that's a first amendment issue, right? And you'll see why I'm bringing that up, Jacob, here in just a little bit. But the second thing that Mayor Signer, or Signer, maybe it's Signer, I don't know, um, probably Signer, actually, now that I look at his name a second time, Michael Signer, uh, it's S-I-G-N-E-R. He is also asking that that localities be able to to suspend gun laws after his city was besieged by violence during a white nationalist rally last weekend. That's my big concern right there. Uh, Here's a quote. To that end, the mayor is also moving forward by asking the General Assembly to give local localities authority over the monuments and the power to ban open carry or concealed weapons during public events that pose security threats. Quote, I think these people came like arsonists. They are intending to burn down the pillars of a constitutional democracy. That's hypocritical. Anyway, compromise, civility, deliberation, tolerance, reconciliation, and it falls to all of us to overcome it, end quote. Uh, I, I meant to quote it, but I couldn't help throw my little two cents in there because I think it's so hilarious that he talks about how these people are burning down the pillars of constitutional democracy, but he wants to suspend people's constitutional rights when they come to exercise a constitutional right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That That's, that's kind of where I was going with that. It's like, okay, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> he wants the right to tear down uh, these Confederate, you know, war memorials. At the same time, he's saying that we must ban guns from these demonstrations because the presence of them may restrict people's, you know, right to free free speech. And it's like, what about? I mean, this is what doesn't make sense to me is that there's there's people out there that they say they're all for free speech when really what all they're for is anything that's not against their own personal agenda, which that's clear here. And the same tactic is tactic is used with regards to second amendment rights where, you know, people will say I'm all for second amendment, uh, but only to a certain point. And, and, you know, if you, go against, if you go beyond what they're okay with, then, you know, then they're all all about shutting you down. So, you know, let's jump, to actually, because it makes more sense, I think, going about this. Yeah, it makes, it, it's exactly pretty much the same thing, where uh, 
Pennsylvania, a Pennsylvania lawmaker wants to gun, to ban guns from public de- demonstrations. This is Pennsylvania State Representative Stephen Kinsey pushing forth, forth legislation that would ban guns at public demonstrations as a response to the violence that erupted at protests in Charlottesville, Virginia. He said that uh, he, he argues that banning guns and other dangerous items at public demonstrations would make them safer and promote free speech. Yeah, you know, it's, isn't that crazy? I mean, how we just like willy-nilly pick the, the constitutional rights that suit our needs when, when they suit our needs and want to get rid of the other ones. Uh, <laughs> shall not be infringed, right? Like, I, I know it, this, this is messy. And, and here, here's, you know, most of you guys are listening. You're like, dang, it, it's the Second Amendment. Like, you can't do that. Well, I mean, you probably can if they can get the law passed and it's, it's constitutional until an appellate or Supreme Court says it's not. And that's a really scary thought that, that, you know, we, we could lose our rights simply because we're exercising our rights. <laughs> yeah. It's, look at this quote from him. He says, uh, civics teaches us that the right of people to assemble peacefully, to express, promote, pursue, and defend their beliefs is fundamental to a functioning democracy. The presence of firearms and other dangerous articles place that fundamental right in grave danger. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's because of the Second Amendment, in, in a lot of respects, that we even have a First Amendment. If the people, you know, you go back to that uh, episode we did last July, Jacob, you and I, I mean, not this most recent one, but the very first Fourth of July episode that we did or excuse me, Independence Day episode, <laughs> you know, where we talked about what really kind of started the uh, Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of it was because of gun control. And also, you know, people were uprising at that time, you know, as far as the, the whole reason people or why there even was brought to to the attention of the King of England that, hey, there's something, you know, there's something going on over there we want to get tamped down uh, was because partly I think because of of free expression and free speech you know a lot of pamphlets going all around a lot of uh, uh, books and and, and writings uh, that you know were also advocating against some of the policies that uh, that you know that the Brits were putting forth so anyway First and Second Amendment rights go hand in hand in my world, and they should. And I think going along with this Pennsylvania story, Jacob, is something else interesting to know. Did you see this video of this uh, this college student? I think it was in. I think he was also in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, he's kind of a you know larger set dude. Uh, nothing against that. Uh, but just so you know the one I'm talking about, he's wearing, you know, kind of vintage Confederate army type, uh, um, how did uniform. I miss this video? This sounds great. Y- you didn't see this? Oh man. Oh. So, you know, he is standing there in front of a, I believe a Robert E. Lee statue saluting it. And there's this crowd of people that are shouting him down. Right in his face, there's a woman with both hands outstretched, flipping him the bird. 
And I mean, just cussing him and saying how terrible he is and, you know, calling him a terrorist. And he's got slung over his back. And that's where this kind of brings these two things together, uh, both the free speech and the Second Amendment. He's got slung over his back in AR. But he is completely peaceable. He's completely just standing there, calm as can be, saluting this memorial. And I'm thinking, where is, you know, where's the hypocrisy on this one? Where these folks that probably just, I'm just guessing on their, you know, political beliefs, probably aren't pro Second Amendment. And they say they're for the First Amendment, but yet they're yelling him down and calling him names and belittling him because of his freedom of expression, which is in support, obviously, of this war memorial. Now, I realize Civil War was had a long time ago, and there was one side that won, and that side was not the Confederates. Sure. But, I mean, for a lot of these people, this is a big deal because this is their, you know, their heritage. In some cases, it's their ancestors. And it's not like Robert E. Lee was a bad dude. I mean, Abe Lincoln wanted him for his, for their side. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of mutual respect for him as who he was, but that really doesn't matter. Right. Right. That's not really relevant. Yeah, no, I, and I get that. I just find it interesting that, you know, yes, this is the concealed carry podcast and yes, you know, we're very much pro second amendment here, but we're also big time pro first amendment. And it's just interesting to see what's going on out there in regards to both of these constitutional bill of rights. Well, anyway, Let's move on. And uh, the next story is Oregon governor signs gun confiscation law. Jacob, give us the rundown on this. So we reported on this story several weeks ago that, you know, that, that this was in, in the process or that, you know, they were working on this. And essentially, this is one of those extreme protection order deals. And we've seen these pop up in a couple of other states. Washington is the last one I'm remembering. And I can't remember if it passed in Washington. I already forgot. But apparently, it's a done deal in Oregon. And the essential gist of the idea is that if, if, a, if a you know family member or whoever wants to issue a, you know, I think most people are familiar with, with standard protection orders, right? But but the idea here is that without any due process, a family member or a law enforcement officer can petition the court to issue an immediate and extreme protection order. And if 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 done, if the court accepts the petition and, and issues the order, then law enforcement shows up to that individual's home and removes all firearms immediately. No due process. The person doesn't have a chance to defend themselves. They don't have uh, the opportunity to hire an attorney and say this is bogus and BS. Uh, It's just up to the best judgment of some judge out there who is probably going to err on the side of caution. They don't want to be the judge who turned down the protection order for the person who got killed the next day, right? So they're they're probably going to err on the side of, of caution and always issue these things. And that's that. Your Second Amendment rights are gone, stripped away because someone said so, because someone you know, said something about you, true or not, and uh, boom, you know, without any due process, it's, it's done. Yeah, and by the way, we did report, um, I don't remember exactly what episode, but it was a few ago, about that law uh, in Washington State um, going into effect about extreme risk protection orders. And so Oregon is now joining um, that, you know, uh, hopping on the bandwagon with that as well. 
And it is concerning uh, for all those reasons which we talked about that you just touched on there as well. Um, so, you know, this is the cost uh, and the consequence of not putting into office uh, effective governors. And I don't, I'm using the term governor there very loosely. I'm talking anyone who governs or is involved in that legislative process. Governor Kate Brown of Oregon obviously is anti-gun in a lot of respects. Uh, She's shown support for a lot of anti-gun measures. Uh, This is just one of those. And uh, this is, this is a problem. Uh, We're going to see people losing their second amendment rights without due process. That is the core of the issue. It's not right. It shouldn't happen that way. I get and I understand the sentiment for desiring to protect certain individuals more, particularly those that are victims of of domestic violence. Uh, I, I, I get that sentiment. I support that sentiment. I mean, do I want to do everything I can to protect victims? of domestic violence and other, you know, other forms of abuse and and so forth. Absolutely. But I'm not going to trample on people's constitutional rights for that. And I don't necessarily think that, that a law like this will, will protect even in those circumstances. By the way, uh, we talk about protection orders and the, the common term is, you know, restraining orders. People are very familiar with restraining orders or that that term. And and so these are an extreme version of restra- restraining order. And really the difference is, I mean, the, the, there is a restraining order still in place in this case, but it's a, an extreme risk protection order because they are taking proactive approaches and steps to disarm the individual that restraining order is placed against. And that, I mean... <laughs> Usually, restraining orders aren't, uh, you know, quite often they, they, they serve a purpose and they have a place and they, they serve the purpose they're supposed to. But are they abused? They most absolutely – talk to any cop out there and they, they are most certainly abused. And if you don't think that this is going to be abused – where someone will will know, I mean, a woman, uh, or let's just suppose, I mean, because that's often the situation, but someone, a spouse uh, or partner gets out of a relationship and because they know that their weapon's present, uh, they will say, hey, this guy's got guns and we've got to take those away. Um, Now, in cases where there's a legitimate concern because of what's been said or actions or or this person's history, uh, then, Hey, I get that, but there's going to be situations where people's rights are definitely trampled on. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it in my mind. Yeah. I, and I think it was, I, I remember now it was you and Matthew who covered the service next. I remember all of Matthew's insights, uh, you know, as a former law enforcement officer, um, it, it, a couple other thoughts though, that I, I will throw out here that it may or may not any you know, listeners care about, but anyone discovered filing a fake order. So in other words, if, I, if you show up and just submit a fake order and say, oh yeah, this person's dangerous or whatever, and it's not really real, uh, I don't know how they would determine something's fake. But anyway, uh, you are could be imprisoned for up to a year and pay a fine of up to $6,200. You know, $6,250, there it is. So, you know, I guess. And, and there is an... Op- that? Right. And right. how would... How would yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
I don't even get like how. Anyway, and I will also add that the, in case we didn't say this already, that once a judge issues the extreme risk protection order, the subject, the person against whom the order is being enforced, has 30 days to request a hearing to keep their firearms, which then must be held within 21 days. So, it, you know, they, they're it's a real veiled, you know, attempt to try and, oh, no, no, we're not taking away your rights, you know. We're giving you an opportunity to request a hearing. It's like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> After yeah. you've taken them away. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it, which is why I described it as being a very proactive, um, you know, step that's being taken. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, when constitutional rights are at play, it's something that really needs to be taken serious. And and I, I just, I, I have a hard time wrapping my, my head around this and getting on board with this. Besides the fact that, like I said, is this actually going to solve the problem? Um, not necessarily, because it will not necessarily keep someone's intent on doing someone else harm from obtaining a weapon but via some other means. And what are you going to do? You can take away all knives. Now, in the Washington State statute, it talks about taking away weapons. I mean, a dude's got to have a kitchen knife to cook and prepare his meals with. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> where do you draw the line at? And, you know, I mean, yeah, you're not going to take away all his knives uh, or her. Um, and there's still probably opportunities for an individual if they really want to, to get their hands on certain weapons on guns, even still. And, uh, you know, anyway, so it's just another attempt at basically gun control legislation that fails to actually stop or solve the issue that they would like to, that we see so often with gun control legislation. Now let's talk about a positive on the gun legislation front. And this is a bill out of Ohio, actually several bills, I might say, that uh, the focus here is that the stand your ground gun bill makes a comeback at the state house. Now, recently we talked and spent some time talking about Ohio, on both on this podcast, as well as in our uh, Guardian Nation live uh, webcast with Andrew Branca where he informed us, and this was kind of, I mean, it was news to me. I was like, whoa. Um, Ohio, as far as, I mean, it is a state that has has leaned blue at times, and it's recent, more recently been leaning red, but generally has been quite favorable towards gun rights. But what I didn't realize about Ohio was, and it's not necessarily specific to guns, but self-defense law is, I would say, behind the times. Because it is one of those few states where certain aspects of their self-defense law place a person potentially in greater jeopardy if they are, you know, ever need to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way that would be considered very reasonable in most states. So, yeah, I mean, for to, to kind of rehash this or to, you know, to give a little bit of a summary... So the stand your ground legislation is being proposed here. So, you know, is that if you live in Ohio, that means you probably need to make some phone calls, send some emails, make sure that uh, you know your rep- your representatives, your legislators are supporting this. Um, there is there there's pending companion House and Senate bills that would also expand the so-called Castle Doctrine, as it says here. Uh, so it, it's kind of an interesting idea. The, the short of it is is which, by the way, is interesting because. As, as we learned from Andrew Branca in, in last week's podcast, if you have a standard ground 
law, legislation in Ohio, then what that essentially means is that in Ohio, you no longer have a duty to retreat uh, in, in order to use self-defense and, and claim self-defense as you know, as as your legal justification for action, right? For taking action, and you know, in in the absence of a stand your ground law, if you have a castle doctrine law, then you eliminate the need to retreat in your home uh, related to using self defense. You know, to acting in self defense. So, in other, put differently, if both, you know, there, there's no need to have both stand your ground law and a castle doctrine law in the same state. It's completely. Um, repetitive, essentially. You know, if you don't get the stand your ground law to pass, though, then a castle doctrine law would be valuable and helpful, because at least it essentially gives you a stand your ground in your home. True, true. The other piece uh, of these bills is, and this is a big one as well, and this was really the the thing that kind of blew me away, Um, and that is that if you had to use self-defense, right, in most states, like virtually all states, <laughs> uh, the state or the prosecutor has the burden to prove that you did not uh, actually use self-defense. Okay. Uh, in Ohio, it's what's called a preponderance of the evidence, preponderance of evidence where it really there's more burden on you. Like you have to do a greater job. You have to, you know, basically you've got to, in most other states, as long as you can create reasonable doubt in someone's mind that, hey, you know, they, they really have to work hard to disprove that you did not use self-defense. But in Ohio, it's kind of like, whichever side wins in the case of the uh, of uh, evidence. So you're able to prove more evidence that favors you, well, then you win. Or if the prosecution is able to provide more evidence, and it's kind of like if it's on a scale and it's 50-50, well, if the prosecution is 51 and you're 49, then you lose. And you lose that self-defense um, argument. And then you're going to go to trial and you're probably going to lose a trial too. And so... That was like, I was like, what? And that's how that works in Ohio uh, as far as self-defense cases are concerned. And so there's another bill on the table here in Ohio uh, in this legislative session where they want to change that so that you've got to, um, so that the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you did not use self-defense, justified self-defense. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, and so... You know, if, if you're in Ohio, make some phone calls, send some emails. Yeah. This significantly strengthens law-abiding citizens' rights to self-defense. So, big deal. You heard it here on the podcast. I hope that you will do everything you can to show support of these bills by contacting your your legislative officials. All right. So, now we are to the justified segment of the Concealed Carry podcast and up first, we have a story out of Anchorage, Alaska. And this is not the first story that we've shared that sounds like this one or that follow, follows kind of a, you know, this kind of trend where, I mean, so often uh, there are things, uh, you know, home invasions and, and whatnot that take place. And we find out that drugs 
are involved or were involved. Or uh, There was one case here in Colorado not too long ago where a couple of guys thought that a family's home was the source of some drugs and attempted to break in, you know, to, to rob them of those drugs when in fact it was, you know, kind of a case of mistaken identity. Uh, anyway, so this story in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, police have identified the man. This is reported, by the way, on uh, Channel 2 News there, KTUU.com. Uh, police have identified the man who was fatally shot by a resident after allegedly breaking into a fourplex-style home on Core Court in Anchorage. The suspect shot and killed has been identified as Terrence Williams, 25 years old. Authorities have not yet said how Williams knew the man that shot him, uh, being the homeowner, uh, but did, or excuse me, the, the resident in this case, I, I, don't know, know this, I do not know that they necessarily owned this uh, residence, but, but they did initially say that the event was not random. In the statement issued Tuesday, police wrote that drugs are believed to be a factor in this case. However, it is not yet known what role drugs may have played. Uh, the story goes that two suspects attempted to break into this Anchorage home on Tuesday, but a resident living at that home shot one of them as they were trying to enter the home. And if you read into it some more, uh, shots were exchanged. So one of these two adult males that broke in through the front door, uh, they were armed and they exchanged gunfire with the male resident of the home. The only two residents home at the time, the man who fired at the intruder and an adult woman, were not injured during the incident. Uh, the two suspects ran off. Uh, they later, some you know, police later found one of them lying in a driveway bleeding. He was uh, transported and later declared dead at the hospital. Wow. Whew. Take a breath on that. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is serious, and uh, they obviously, you know, we don't know what the connection was other than drugs are related, and these guys know each other. Um, and I'll add that the homeowner was also protecting a female adult, you know, whatever that means. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, we, we see stories similar to this sometimes where, you know, it, it it's an accidental address kind of problem. You know, someone thinks there's, you know, drugs in there or they think there's cash in there. So it may, you know, you may hear this and think, oh, I'm safe. I don't have to worry about it because, you know, I'm not a drug dealer. Uh, but no, not 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 necessarily. Don't don't get too relaxed too quickly. Just know that uh, you know bad things happen to good people. So we all got to be prepared. And when shots are exchanged, yeah, this this one worked out well in that the intruder is the one who got hurt, and the homeowner, the defender, turned out okay. Yeah. Hey, you're starting to sound like me a little bit. No, 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 no. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. am I losing my concise uh, speech? I, I thought that I'm the one that stutters, uh, you know, but uh, I, I think we'll come up with a new a new theme song. Uh, nah, 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 nah. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, no, uh, appreciate the uh, analysis there, Jacob, uh, because it's so true. I mean, there's many times, that, and times we've shared in the podcast, too, where cases of mistaken identity uh, result in an attack or a home invasion that has nothing to do with that homeowner or that resident. Um, you know, they don't see it coming. They have no reason to suspect anything like, like that will happen, uh, but yet it does. So, you know, be on your toes, you know, and be prepared. Next up. We turn now to San Antonio, Texas. News for San Antonio.com reports that an armed homeowner helped the Bexar County Sheriff's Office and Hollywood Park Police apprehend a man for allegedly stealing a vehicle Saturday afternoon. Authorities received the call about 10.04 a.m. for a theft in progress. Uh, the victim reported his, his car was stolen. 
he told dispatchers that he offered a ride to the suspect just before the carjacking. It is believed that the suspect, later identified as 20-year-old Chad Courtney, tried to run over the victim's leg while driving away. Then, uh, the story took another little twist. A little while later, officers located the vehicle at a, a an apartment complex, and he fled the scene until a homeowner found him running in his backyard. The armed homeowner, licensed to have a gun. Now, this is one of... Oh, Here's here's pet peeve, right? Stupid journalist. Yeah, I mean, the media propagating this idea that you've got to be licensed to have a gun. Uh, I suspect they meant that he had a, and, well, this is Texas, so a, what is that? A, license a to LTC. carry. LTC, yeah, license to carry. Used to be the, the CHL, concealed handgun license, I think. Um, LTC. So regardless if he had a permit or not, doesn't really matter in this case. This is a homeowner in his home, in his backyard, notices this suspect running through his yard and apparently he keeps he holds him there at bay until police arrive. I, I I gotta talk about this one a little bit because you know we had a story last week that was similar. And you and I perhaps I don't know, maybe we were a little bit rough on the poor person because we said, you know what, you don't have the legal means to hold people at gunpoint until police arrive. And we've said that several times on the podcast, but this last week we got an email from a listener and he was very upset with me and basically you know said that we'd lost a listener and maybe he's still listening i don't know but but he was upset about this particular topic um he feels like you know we we essentially the way we talked about it was uh supposing that that the gun owners you know doesn't have a right to to stop the crime or to i, I don't know i it, it I don't know exactly what the issue was, but I thought it'd be worth clarifying because we have another news story that's very similar. So, so let me be as clear as I can. The, the law in most states does not allow that people who are not officers, people who don't have badges, um, so average armed citizens like myself, the, the law does not allow me to use a gun or the threat of a gun deadly force or the threat of deadly force to submit someone to custody or prevent their escape. That's pretty much true in most states. Okay. So when, when these stories come up, it's common for Riley or I to say something to the effect of be careful because if you point a gun at someone and say, don't move, stay here till cops get here, that could be construed you know, by a law enforcement officer, by the prosecuting attorney, by the DA, whoever, that could be construed as you trying to arrest that person or prevent their escape with under the threat of a gun, uh, under the threat of being shot. And that is generally illegal. So that, that aside, let me also clarify this. I, I feel very strongly that it, we, we do as citizens want to stop criminals from hurting other people not not just in the moment, but generally speaking, right? We all want to do our part to make our communities a better place. And so if there's a way that we can, uh, you know, pre- prevent additional crime and danger from taking place, perhaps we should. I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing, because I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, this, this very specific story, we're talking about a guy who, you know, steals a car and runs over someone or nearly runs over them. What did, what did it say? I already forgot. Yeah, nearly runs over somebody. Yeah, over his leg. Over his leg. So do, does he have any care about human life? I mean, he could have run over that person completely, right? And then later he's caught in a backyard still fleeing the scene. 
They're still running away from law enforcement. Who's to say he wasn't going to go strangle somebody? Uh, obviously, he was pretty determined to get away, and we don't know how that could have ended. You know, we don't know where that that might have gone. Yep. Yeah, you know, we have talked about this many times, and we don't want to be redundant on the podcast, but, you know, we see the same thing over and over and over again, and we're going to address it over and over again, and hopefully, eventually, it'll get through to some people um, that what we're, what we're saying, we really, really mean. Now, this topic has come up with me personally many times, and, you know, we've had conversations about it, you and I, uh, people within our company, students, um, and, you know, while I generally give the same response as far as like, yeah, it's really not recommended that you try, you know, that you essentially arrest somebody at gunpoint because it just, it really does open up the door for a lot of potential legal, you know, trouble, challenge. Uh, Andrew Branca talked about it with us, of course, uh, you know, explaining that, you know what, the the focus is and should be, um, and we agree that it's, it's all, you know, that that deadly weapon, that gun that you carry, uh, is intended for stopping threats, uh, particularly deadly threats towards you or another person. And if you have this, have a sense that that individual, you know, that the uh, uh, suspect or you know the attacker or whatever, uh, is going to leave and get out of the situation, um, that for you personally, legally. Uh, liability-wise, it's probably best that you just let them go. I know that can be yeah, hard I to will, do. Yeah, and, and and to be as clear as we can, I mean, we're not saying like, you know, if they're not if they're not you know, if they're not trying to kill you right now, let them run. We're saying stop threats when 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 threats are apparent, right? And so if if you want to use your if you if you see that there's a threat, and maybe that threat is not you, maybe it's you know, someone immediately, you know, two, three minutes down the road, wherever that person's going, you know, if you can articulate it and you ethically feel like you're, you know, preventing, uh, you know, a, an immediate danger, you know, de- dead death or great bodily injury to someone immediately around you, great, like use the gun to stop threats. But there's a difference between me saying, hey, I perceive that there's a threat right now and I need to act versus... I'm going to threaten this person that I will shoot them if they don't hold still while I call 911. And and that's where you kind of cross this line. And so a couple of things to consider is one is that how would they know? How would they know that I was, you know, holding this person or preventing their escape? Well, you know, if you say things like stop, don't move or I'll shoot, um, you know, don't, you know, move one inch and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll plug you with this thing. You know, things like that would obviously infer that you were trying to uh, potentially prevent their escape. But if you say, you know, come toward me and and, and I'll have to act, or if you, if, you, if, you, if you make, you know, comments to the effect that if you threaten, right, if you become a threat again or, or become a threat at all, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll act, that's different. And so, and so I, I know that there's a fine line there both legally and ethically and morally, but hopefully I'm, I'm doing a decent job of trying to explain the difference. Now, I'm going to just kind of jump in and, and play a little bit of devil's advocate with you, but not so much devil's advocate because I do believe what I'm about to say, and that is that uh, why, why do police oftentimes with gun drawn tell somebody, you know, don't move? Well, it's a lot of times because they feel or they, 
you know, and, and they should be able, they should also be able to articulate this as well, but they have reasonable suspicion that that individual may be armed that, you know, and, and thus that individual moving, uh, reaching towards a waistband or a pocket or, you know, not, not showing their hands, uh, they don't want them to move because sure. I mean, it only takes, takes that long for that person to pull that gun out or whatever it is and hurt you with it. And so I, I do feel there is a place and I do feel that there are times that this is uh, taken advantage of or that it's uh, abused as far as, you know, this type of tactic. But uh, I, I definitely feel like there's a place for even a citizen to, if they can articulate it as to why they did it, but that you might tell someone, don't you move. Because I could see myself being in a situation where I've got a dude that was just threatening me or was doing something to suggest he was going to hurt me, and I've drawn my gun, shots have not been fired, but what do I do? I mean, like, if I so much as allow this guy to budge an inch, like, that that next inch might be him grasping a weapon from his waistband and shooting me with it. So, it's going to depend on the situation, and don't abuse it. And by abuse, well, you don't abuse if you can make a really strong case. You can really articulate, well, because of, you know, I saw a bulge in his waist. You know, I could, I could see a bulge in his pants, uh, in his pocket. Uh, or he said certain language, like, that, that caused me to believe that he was armed. Well, by golly, my gun's coming out. And if I'm not shooting shots, I'm not just, you know, I'm not letting that dude just do whatever, you know. He... He's not going to move. So now that's, that's fair. Yeah. I'm with you, Riley. Like if, if we need to say things or do things in order to maintain our own security, right. To, to ensure the threat isn't, isn't deadly, then, then do those things. Right. And, and I think that's, that's your point is it's like, it's not, it's not always about what you do. It's about why you do it and your ability to articulate later why you did that. Yeah, articulation is key. Regardless if if you if you are a citizen uh, or a law enforcement officer, do you mind if I deviate slightly and actually address a question that we received recently that I think kind of touches on this a little bit? I think it's too late for me to to, to say yes or no. <laughs> well, I think now we have to do it. Maybe we could dive into it a little bit more deeply in another episode. But we did get a question and a comment on episode 148, which was with Andrew Branca last week, where uh, th- this individual, his name is uh, Greg, and he writes and says, I enjoyed episode 148. Uh, I'm reading Andrew Branca's book, learning a lot from it. I am training for my NRA firearm instructor certification. Uh, bravo to you, uh, Greg. In other classes, I have heard others talk about something that I am curious about, and I expect it to come up in my classes when I start training others. Very wise of you to understand this and to desire to <laughs> know the answers and be able to instruct properly. He goes on, many firearms-related podcasts, even yours, I think, talk about and seem to promote the idea of a so of being a so-called sheepdog. The term implies that individuals without law enforcement powers are 
how maybe now empowered to protect society in the way that sworn law enforcement does. My question is, have you discussed this idea with Andrew Branca? Uh, As an expert in this field, I would love to hear his take on this idea of sheepdog thinking as this goes to a state of mind, as mentioned by your guest when referencing bumper stickers, embellishments on firearms, etc. Specifically, would those who promote the so-called sheepdog mindset have some level of culpability in the event of an incident? Just curious. So very good, yeah, cool. um, astute you know, observations and questions that Greg asks here. And I'm not going to go into everything. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for Andrew Brinka. Uh, and perhaps, you know, we'll go ahead and pass this uh, question on to him and, and see what he thinks. But I, I brought this into the discussion now at this, at this juncture, Jacob, because we were just kind of talking about submitting, you know, people to arrest, um, you know, at gunpoint, essentially, which do law enforcement officers do that all the time? Yeah, they do. Uh, do do we share stories on the podcast where people essentially do the same thing? Yes. Are all those situations right, you know, appropriate for those citizens to do that? No, which is why we talk about it. Um, but does it happen all the time? It does. Uh, in many cases, those prosecutors and even law enforcement, because keep in mind, it could very well be the law enforcement officers are taking a great deal of liberty um, as far as how their report is written uh, to not charge or arrest a citizen that has, you know, affected an arrest in the situation. They go, good job, you know, Joe Schmo citizen. Uh, great job. Glad you caught this guy. We got him. See you later. And, you know, it, and it gets lost in the shuffle of, of, of reports and paperwork and never even sees the light of day in the prosecutor's office. Okay. And even sometimes this prosecutor might see cases like that and just take great, you know, leeway and say, eh, we're not going to go after this dude. Okay. But about this idea of being a so-called sheepdog, and the first thing is, I don't know that I would agree with your definition, Greg, about what a sheepdog is, and I'll turn it over to Jacob, too, for his opinion in just a second, but I don't necessarily think of a sheepdog meaning that you are empowered the same way a sworn law enforcement officer is. I simply interpret or think of sheepdogs as being those that will protect others. Pretty simple. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of wolves out there. We know those are the bad guys. They they prey upon others, and there are way many more sheep or lamb lambs uh, that are they're 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 just because of the way they live their lives. Uh, you know, they got their head in the sand. They just don't care, or they're distracted by things. They're just stuck in the rat race, so to speak. Uh, they don't often take into their own hands their own protection, okay? And so Sheepdog, I think of as you, Jacob, as me, as others that are probably listening to this podcast that take training seriously, that take responsibility seriously, and that are able and willing to defend themselves and others and keep those wolves from preying on the innocents as long as they're doing so within the confines and bounds of the law. So I don't necessarily think a sheepdog means that it, it's implying that individuals that aren't officers are doing the job that sworn officers do. I think it's just, I think it's a little bit broader uh, definition than that. Now, Jacob, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think that's tough. I mean, the question would be, is it, is it ambiguous, right? I mean, is that the right? I just said, the, I just made up a word, didn't I? Ambiguous. It, I like it. it. Yeah, sure. I didn't even know what I was trying to say. There's, is, see, it, amb- is it ambiguous and ambiguous? Ambiguous? No. 
to Google both of those and send me the definition. So here's what I'm trying to say um, before too many people make fun of me. I think the question is if 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 a prosecutor is going to use that right if a prosecutor is going to get up in in my in my case and say this Jacob Paulson dude is so on record everywhere all the time as saying that he's a sheepdog or a guardian or a whatever and he's you know going to do what's necessary to protect the innocent from the threats that surround him um you know and, and he's going to try and make a big deal out of obviously I want to kill people and that that's how he kind of portrays the idea of the sheepdog is however, you know, the prosecutor sees fit. The question really is, should the prosecutor attempt to use that in the case? Can my attorney get up and say, that's nonsense? Like, here is extensive, you know, proof or research or whatever that shows that that's, that's not how the gun community at large uh, reasonably interprets this meaning. And that's certainly not what Jacob meant when he said that. That's the question is, can you, can that be, you know, articulated by an attorney to show that that's okay? In the same way, I'll give you an example. Um, and, and by the way, I'm not saying it can or can't. I'm saying that that's the question that's being asked. So if, if a prosecutor gets up in my trial and says, Jacob uh, has an NRA sticker in his truck and he loves the NRA, you know, and, and that therefore means he wants to kill people, you know, can my attorney get up and say that's nonsense, you know, just because you are a member of the NRA doesn't mean you want to hurt people. And and in that case, I think we all readily jump to it and say, yeah, no, totally, that's ridiculous. My attorney could absolutely convince a 12-man jury that being a member of the NRA doesn't mean squat in that regard. So the, the, you have to ask yourself the same question. Well, could my attorney just as easily or, you know, in, in any way get up and convince a jury that you know, have being a self-proclaimed sheepdog also doesn't mean that I want to go out and cause malice or harm or, uh, you know, be a vigilante or, you know, attempt to, to bring people to justice. And so that, that's the question here. And for me, the answer is, yeah, my attorney could totally do that. Like it's, that, that's ridiculous to suppose that just because someone is a self-proclaimed sheepdog, that they are a vigilante or that they want to hurt people. To me, neither of those things are associated, you know, at, at, in the general understanding of the term of sheepdog. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I'm at on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Uh, that's pretty well summarized. Uh, by the way, ambiguous, which I'm pretty, I think I use the word ambiguous pretty, uh, pretty well. I think you did too. I think you just got kind of tripped up in, in your word uh, choices. Uh, we are recording this at 10 p.m. at night yeah. for anyone who's curious. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's due, by the way, to I had some crazy internet issues earlier today as we were trying to get it done earlier. Uh, and then, of course, being gone yesterday. But anyway, ambiguous means open to more than one interpretation, having a double meaning, um, or it's unclear or inexact because a choice between alternatives has not been made. Be kind of some examples. U- ubiquitous, I think, is the other word you were kind of like mixing with it. I think, I think. And there's also ubiquity, but u- ubiquitous, ubiquitous. Ub- <laughs> oh my gosh. It is 10, 10 p.m., 10 or 9 p.m. to be exact. Uh, ubiquitous means present, appearing, or found everywhere. So, for example, that's the one I was going his for. ubiquitous yeah, influence was felt by all the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, maybe I was going for that, or maybe I didn't know what it, the word actually meant. Either way, hopefully, we communicated what I intended to communicate. But I like ambiguous because I th- I think that means it's not exact. And maybe it has a double meaning, and it's everywhere all at once. It's, it's both I, words. Combined. I love inventing words. Yeah, yeah ambiguous. We'll make sure to submit that to Merriam-Webster. So uh, there you go. Um, 
I don't think I have any further, you know, stuff to add there other than just like I said, I mean, to me, I don't see sheepdog as being a negative or having a negative connotation at all. It's simply a desire and willingness to be a protector. And if we are protectors and we obey the law, that that's the right approach, I think. Let's get to our final story here this evening. <laughs> uh, this is uh, from Washington County in Florida and reported on WTVY.com where uh, the title is Deputies Burglar Shot by Homeowner Sunday Morning. This is quite a story. This says here, a man was shot early Sunday morning after waking a homeowner during a burglary. Hearing a loud noise, the homeowner woke her husband, who found three male subjects actively burglarizing their vehicles located in their front yard. Washington, Washington County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call in reference to the burglary in progress at approximately 2.45 a.m. The homeowner advised they heard a loud noise, and as he investigated where it originated from, he observed three white males in their vehicles, and one of those vehicles contained a firearm. Good eyes. Yeah. Uh, well, keep in mind, I mean, they're burglarizing the, the homeowner's vehicles, and apparently he knew one of those has a has a firearm in it, right? So, I mean, he right. that makes sense. And, you know, in, in the end, the story works out very well, I think, but don't leave guns in your vehicles, right? <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's just the beginning of the things not to do here. But, Keep but what's the key, right? He, he knows he's got some, he's got three suspects. They're burglarizing. Uh, he knows that there's a good chance that they've got a hold of a firearm. Okay. The suspects were confronted by the homeowner who was armed with an AK 47 and began to flee to their vehicle. During this time, a suspect later identified as Tristan Wilson, age 19, turned toward the homeowner in a manner that made him fear he was about to be shot, and the homeowner began to fire his rifle. See, now, when we talk about articulation, I I realize this is a media report, right? But that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's really great. And when you read that... That the the suspect turned toward the homeowner in a manner that made him fear he was about to be shot. And I don't know what manner that is, but I think if you were if you had some sort of surveillance video or something and you could watch this, you'd probably understand what he means. And the the actual the actual uh, uh, homeowner could probably give you a lot more specific details. But I, I appreciate that that is contained here in this media report. And then it says, at this time, the suspect reportedly fled in a black vehicle that possibly had a flat tire. The homeowner also reported the firearm that was in their vehicle, so in, in the homeowner's vehicle, was now missing. Deputies immediately responded, finding a black four-door Honda sitting in the middle of Pettis Road with three male occupants. Upon initiating a traffic stop, deputies ordered the suspects to exit the vehicle, at which time they observed the front passenger, identified as Tristan Wilson, drop a small baggie of marijuana onto the ground. Deputies state it was apparent they were all under the influence of either alcohol or drugs and they were not following commands. Once all suspects were detained, Wilson advised deputies he had been shot. EMS responded immediately, transported him to uh, the medical center for treatment of a gunshot wound to the leg. Upon further investigation, a loaded 9mm handgun was found inside the suspect's vehicle. The homeowner's handgun was later found in the woods nearby. And get this too. Three suspects Two of them age 19, one of them age 15. That's crazy. Mm. So, 
How fun is this one? Um, so a couple interesting thoughts. So, so the homeowner was right that he had left a handgun uh, in the, one of those vehicles that was being burglarized. And he must have been justified in thinking that they might find it or steal it because they did find it and stole it. Uh, they, then they dumped it, right, as they were trying to get away. Um, interestingly enough, also, with even that gun out of the equation, the homeowner's gun that was in the car that the bad guys found, minus that, taking it out of the equation, they were already armed anyway, right? They had their own gun that they had brought with them. Uh, to to commit this crime, so that a little bit of of insight, you know, hindsight in terms of what was going on. You know, you, you talked about not keeping guns in the car. Yeah, don't do that. That that's that's the like the the number one most obvious like uh, point at this and say, hey, but you know, naughty gun owner, don't do that, right? Don't keep guns in the car. And and anywhere you keep a gun, car or otherwise, have it secured. You know, I mean, we we talk about okay, well. Maybe there are some justifications on occasion, like I have to go to the post office right now. Okay, I got to leave a gun in a car. Like that, that's just going to be the nature of that beast. I'm not going to take it with me to the post office. That's a, that's a federal crime I'm not going to commit. So then the next you know, kind of follow-up along that, that tangent is, well, how am I going to secure that gun in the car? Am I going to stick it in a glove box? It's an awful place to put a gun. For one, it's it's restricted in 926A of the of the Firearm Owner Protection Act referring to the interstate transportation of firearms. So it's not good in that circumstance. It's also, uh, if I lock a glove box and then I put the key in the ignition and I'm driving away and now I need to access that gun, I literally have to stop the car to retrieve the key to unlock the glove box. It's also a real bad place because it's not really that secure. Even locked, it doesn't take much but a, a really decent screwdriver to pop the lock on a glove box. So, so we don't keep guns in glove boxes. We don't keep them in consoles. We don't shove them under seats. A little call to action here for listeners. You need a small portable safe in the car. And we have articles about I've written. I mean, if you, if you didn't notice, I got a little bit of passion on this one. We, I have an article just dedicated to why you shouldn't put guns in in glove boxes. It's quite lengthy and I'm giving you the abbreviation, but that, yeah, that, that's a huge issue. Have a small little portable safe, use a security cable. You know, most of them come with, if not, you can buy an aftermarket security cable for less than $10. Use a security cable that, that you can tether around something like a seat or something that's not removable or at least very difficult to remove tether the safe to that so if they break into the car and they do find that little safe shoved under the seat and they go to remove it a they can't open it it's a safe b they can't remove it it's tethered to the car that's so significantly better than just shoving that sucker in a glove box somewhere else okay i digress riley i'll 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 stop talking for a minute and let you jump in yeah uh well you know and, and you described how i generally try to uh uh, store things in my vehicle. You know, got a little one of those little um, portable handgun safes or vaults. Uh, the uh, little clamshell style. Uh, they work really well. I mean, it fits right underneath the seat. I got a security cable securing it to the seat frame. I mean, can that still get stolen? Yeah, it can. I mean, bolt cutters or a really serious pair of wire cutters can probably cut through a security cable. But you know, at least, I mean, they got to have something like that to, to actually, you know, take it with them. And, and, and that's something because probably not every thief is carrying bolt cutters with them, but although some probably are anyway, um, yeah, that's a pretty good summary. And I just, I'm so thankful that this story ended the way it did Uh way to go homeowner, at least as far as his response. I mean, yeah. Did he go out and confront these guys? He did. Uh, he clearly knew something was up because he went out with an AK-47. We talk sometimes about, actually we talk all the time about, you know, probably not 
going out there and confronting uh, the sit, you know, putting yourself in that situation uh, where you, I, I, frankly, uh, this homeowner would probably be better off. Uh, not engaging those suspects and not having to fire his rifle and use a deadly force than if he just was, you know, a good witness and called 911. Um, but, you know, the end of it is it ends well. Uh, even the county sheriff states, you know, he's he's glad that, hey, look, in our community, we don't, we don't uh, tolerate this kind of uh, behavior. We don't tolerate homes or property being burglarized or the danger that comes with it in this county. We are thankful the homeowners are safe after this incident and the perpetrators are behind bars. And, uh, you know, I agree. Yeah, I'll, one last parting thought on this and... Um, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a walking con- contradiction to some effect, but and maybe it's just because it's late at night. I, I do think that criminals are becoming more brazen. They're more often in traveling in numbers, and they're more often armed than they used to be. And you know, I'm sure that some awesome gun control advocate, gun grabber out there, would be like, "Yes, you know, because there's more of you crazy armed citizens like Jacob. There's now going to be more criminals with guns." Because either A, there's just more guns in the marketplace, therefore criminals are more likely to be able to get their hands on them, and B, maybe the criminal, because they're worried about the armed citizen, is more likely to be incentivized to get armed. Okay, sure, like maybe, but that's that's not the point. The point is if if they could be armed, then I deserve to be armed. I, I have a right to use equal or greater force to defend myself and my family. And also more to all my point is if those criminals are, are more dangerous than they used to be because they're traveling in greater numbers, because they're getting armed for whatever reason, then how much more you know careful do we need to be? How much more vigilant do we need to be? Uh, because, I mean, here we got two 19-year-olds and a 15-year-old that are cruising around armed, burglarizing cars. And in this case, the thing they took with them was a gun. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you have it. So... That wraps up our justified stories for today and and actually all of the great content in in this uh, news episode of today. Today's episode, just uh, before we forget, is that um, today's episode is brought to you by Viking Tactics or VTAC, which is a leader in quality fighting gear that really works. Designed by Special Forces veteran retired Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb who's been on the podcast before and is part of our Guardian Nation uh, live broadcast series. A great deal of thought and design goes into every piece, taking into account lessons learned and experience gained. One can only achieve by fighting on the front lines and sometimes behind enemy lines of America's finest soldiers. Whether you need slings, weapon light mounts, belts, or training DVDs, check out VTAC's lineup of gear on concealedcarry.com. You can see the link in the show notes. But if you'll go to concealedcarry.com's online store and search by brand Viking Tactics, you'll see all the great gear listed there on our site. Today's episode is also brought by brought to you by Sports Afield. We've talked about all of the many home invasions that occur and sometimes how handy it is having a quick access safe near the bed or something like that in the home. But what about in the car? Need a gun safe in your car? Check out Sports Afield's line of quick access handgun safes that are designed for that purpose. I mentioned the clamshell version. I've got the, this very one in my vehicle right now, the Sports Afield. What is it? The RV1, I think, Jacob? 
Uh, Correct. Yeah. yeah, they call it the Top Access Single Handgun Safe Model Number RV One. Yeah, the RV One, and that's it's perfect for a vehicle. I mean, it's got a spot you can attach a security cable. It'll slip under the seats of of many you know many cars, many many trucks out there. Works perfectly uh, under the seat of mine. They are foam lined yet built with heavy duty sixteen gauge steel. It'll keep your firearms protected well, but still allow you to quickly access them in an emergency. Now, generally when I'm in the vehicle, I've got my gun on my person, but there are those times where you've got to, unfortunately, I mean, I just had to do it today. I had to, my mom is sick and uh, daddy had to play, you know, mom and dad today. I had to take kids, get them ready for school, take them to school, pick them up from school. I mean, I don't mind ever doing that necessarily. And frequently I do drop them off and pick them up. But today, definitely that was the case. I had to literally walk one of my daughters up to the door. I can't set foot on that school property with my gun on me. So what did I do? Pulled out that Sports Afield RV1 safe out from under the seat, opened it up, deposited my Glock 19 in there, shut it, got out of the vehicle, locked the vehicle, took care of business at the school, got back and rearmed myself. That's how it works. It's how it's supposed to work. And the Sports of Field Safe made it super easy. Check out the full line of, they got the full line of not only those little handgun vaults, but also full-size safes as well. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. There you go. There you have it. Uh, by the way, coming up tomorrow, I'm going to be interviewing. I don't know if that episode is going to release tomorrow. It might be Thursday. Watch for it soon. And by the way, we're going to be in Milwaukee later this week, Jacob and I, attending the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Yipper. Yeah, and if you're able to make it to that show, look for us there. Uh, look for either the, I'll have I'll have my Guardian Nation uh, hat on. Or it might be a Guardian Nation shirt, uh, t-shirt. Or it might be our concealedcarry.com polo. Um, I'm also working, Jacob, and I haven't told you this yet, so this is kind of a surprise for you Uh-oh. and a surprise for others, but I'm hoping to set up and record some podcast episodes while we're there in somebody's booth. So I'm reaching out to a couple industry partners and saying, hey, can we record in your booth? So watch for us there. We hope to see you there. That'll be a fun one. And they went, and that's in uh, Milwaukee. This was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So whoops. Yeah, August 25, 26, 27, yeah. I think. And speaking of, so tomorrow, I haven't had a chance to tell you this either. <laughs> I don't know if you're able to participate or not, but uh, I'm going to be interviewing Mark Passamanic of Carbon Arms. Uh, super, super smart dude. Uh, he's more of a competitive shooter, but he definitely is super smart and he gets it especially where it comes to training and doing things certain ways, particularly as it relates to your cognitive processing ability so we can really perform well under stress. And so that should be a good one. I look forward to it. Hope that you'll uh, tune in for that. That'll be one, episode 150. So there you have it. Jacob, do you have any last words? Yeah, just be vigilant out there. You know, these criminals are getting worse. Uh, the crime's getting worse. And, you know, we, we got to win the fight. Yep. Indeed we do. And don't forget to go like us on Facebook, concealedcarry.com's uh, Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to us and our videos there. Hope that uh, you'll do that as well. And so with that, it's Riley and Jacob with the Concealed Carry Podcast signing off and a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody. 
A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.